that is our prayer, Father. That our hearts would be given to you. We ask you to do a work in us that only you can do. Thank you for being the one who pursues us, for being the one whose plan for our lives is so much better than our own, and the one who has given everything so that we could embrace all that you've done for us. Pray now your spirit would fill me, speak to us today, for your sake and for the expansion of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. Well, good morning. Again, I want you to just, uh, if you would, take out your bulletin real briefly. And uh, if you'll notice, there's a flyer in there. Next week we begin a new series, and it's on the family. And what we'd encourage you to do is to take your flyer and uh, not only look at it, but invite someone to come. And there's four weeks in September. You can discover the different titles called Design for Thriving Families. And I believe that uh, God's going to meet us in, in, a, in a very special way. So also wanted to just to say uh, thank you for all the feedback on the f- series on Amazed by Grace. And today is actually kind of a swing message between two series. And so we haven't entirely given up on, on the favor grace this week. There will be some of that, as you'll see in just a moment. But it's preparing us also for the fall and what God wants to kick off here. Yesterday, about 30 of us met over here in the, the room as we did a uh, um, small group shepherds conference to plan for the fall. Uh, there was some, it was a wonderful time together. I'll tell you a little bit about that as, as the morning goes on. And then men also, just again for you, that the Men's Summit, you can sign up for that if you want to know more about it. It's an expedition you're not going to want to miss. It's uh, a special time where we're going to help men uh, discover and write their life mission statement. Uh, less than 1% of the population has done that. And it's an amazing thing what happens. I could tell you story after story of men who've done this in the past and then find themselves 5, 8, 10, 15 years later walking exactly in what they thought was, is God even in this thing? Uh, amazing. And also you're going to be doing it with like-minded men. We're going to do a 12-week covenant together on Friday mornings, 6 o'clock right here, 6 to 7.15. And nothing else going on then, so join us, guys. You know, your wife will be happy for you to get up and uh, leave early. And uh, so that will be it. And also, we're going to be developing our heart and skills as a spiritual leader. And also to develop new eyes for our future and our career. So something specially designed for men. And if you're interested in that, just sign up and put it in the offering plate as it comes around. And we will give you some more information. Well, today I'd like you to turn with me as we're looking at the master's plan for ABF. And uh, not just for us, but for the future. And I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, um, just want to remind us that over the months, I've heard um, just many wonderful things being here at ABF. I've also heard some definitions of things that have, uh, have made me ask, is this really a, a definition that the scripture would confirm? And we're going to be looking at some of that today in terms of what is God's design for his church? Not just now, but for all around the world. And what specifically does he say the role of leadership is in the church? So, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like 
the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly or completely. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As we take a look at the master's plan for his church, we're going to ask some questions and understand why Jesus designed the church. And when he did that, what did he give? And again, we see that the first thing he gave are resources or gifts. And thus continues our series in favor grace. As many of you know, gifts are simply, uh, it's the word charis, or we got our word charismata, which means grace gifts. That's what God gave to the church. And this particular passage, he's talking about four of them that are designed to provide leadership, and they're all leadership gifts. And they have something in common. They all involve the ministry of the Word, the ministry of Scripture. Um, but I also want us to just think for a moment, don't think of these are offices or roles, because that's what happens to us in the Western world. We hear about gifts, or we hear something that sounds like a gift. We've heard say, well, that must be somebody does that one in the church. Rather, it's a gift that God gives to His people. And it may or may not involve a specific role. And uh, so the question we want to ask here, and, and also, did you know this, that we're going to see that these, these teaching kinds of leading roles, did you know in Scripture every believer is commanded to teach each other? We're commanded to teach, to admonish. In fact, that's what it says in Ephesians 5 through what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're to teach one another. So it's not just a few who do that, but there's a specific role, and we're going to see what God designed them to do. Then also, we want to ask the question, because the scripture tells us Jesus is the one who passes out these gifts. I mean, picture Christmas, picture sometime, and there's someone handing out gifts. That's what he did for you and me, for everyone received a gift. These are some leadership kinds of gifts, not the only ones, but the ones that are included here. So here's the question, when did Jesus give those to us? I know the common teaching is that we get them when we receive Christ at new birth, and there's truth in that. But... The other part people ask often, are these spiritual gifts separate and, and, and different from our natural abilities and strengths that God gives us? I don't think you can make a clear delineation. I don't even think scripture suggests that. But it doesn't make any difference because however we got them, guess where they came from? God gives them to us, which is very, very important. God gives them to us, and we're going to see um, why he did that in a moment. Now, here's another question. How long do these gifts last? If a person gets a gift, are they able, is it just there the rest of their life? Well, I'd probably answer that one, yes, except that we've all seen people who have, by neglect, let their gifts fade. They haven't invested them for Christ, and so they just kind of drift and they fade. That's not his design for that as well, it is to develop them. And the other question is this, can we add gifts? This surprises you, because 1 Corinthians 14, 1 suggests that we can in fact, there he says, seek and desire the higher gifts. Well, what's that about? What are the higher gifts? Well, in the passage, it's very clear. The higher gifts are those that are used to, to build up others, to bless others. It's, a, it's a, um, um, a strengthening kind of, it's not for ourselves, but it's for the benefit of other people. And also there tells us the purpose of a gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says that the gifts are given to us, why? To strengthen and benefit others, as well as those not only inside the body of Christ, but those on the outside of the body of Christ. Now, it's important here because 
it's saying this, the gifts that God gives are not just for the person who has them. They're not for us. They are for others so that we're able to express God's desires and to bless them along the way. The implication is something else here. If God gave us gifts, what is, what's the clear implication? It should lead to some humility. Isn't it interesting because when we're good at something, when we're gifted, like they say, man is the only animal, you can pat him on the back and his head swells. You know, we take credit for things that really aren't ours. And, uh, you know, it'd be like someone giving you a new car. Say, here's a gift, here's the keys. The only thing I request is occasionally let some, you know, take some other people in your car. And so a person walks out and he says, hey, look at my car. Can I ride it? Of course not, it's mine. No, that, that would make no sense. We have friends who uh, live in Seattle, and he's a, he um, does what we do, trains uh, pastors and leaders around the world. <laughs> and uh, he had a friend, an elderly friend, and when he passed away, he, part of his will was he gave our friend his new infinity. He gave him a car. It was only a couple years old. So I remember when, the first time he picked us up at the airport in Seattle, we're there, and our friend comes driving up in his, in his infinity, and I said, hey, man, you know, nice wheels. And so he goes through this big explanation of how he got it, you know, the, the typical missionary thing. I wouldn't buy a new car, you know, all those kinds of things, you know. So he's explaining. I said, relax, relax. I think it's great. I'm happy for you. I said, I only have one request. I said, he said, what's that? I said, let me borrow it. <laughs> Anyhow, it was given to him as a gift. Now, how many here have taken some kind of test to discover your spiritual gifts? Yeah, most churches, we've done a lot of that, and they can be helpful, but here's what we discovered is we've done that many, many times. You don't really discover your gifts by taking a test. How do you discover them? Ask your wife. Ask your wife. <laughs> You've got a good wife. Um, the way you really discover them is begin to serve Jesus somewhere. You only discover them really, now a test can confirm it, but you have to get out and do something to utilize it's like the little bird. How does he know he's going to fly? He's going to have to jump off and flap his wings. And that's what God has designed for us to discover them that way. Someone, and, and, and by the way, in the New Testament, gifts are used in six different ways. There's two words, and I won't bore you with that. But one of the words, is the basic gift of eternal life is called a gift. It's a charisma from God. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift. He's a, he's a doma. It's another word for it. And, but he is our gift. Um, One's own station in life, whether it's being married or single, is called it's a gift from God, believe it or not. Uh, ministry that's received is a gift. A fifth way is people are actually called gifts in the New Testament in, here in Ephesians 4 and verse 8. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a gift. Some of us aren't sure about that. What kind of a gift? Is that a joke or a... no? And then finally, various activities in Scripture are utilized, are called gifts as well. So there's is a multifaceted um, explanation. Someone said this, we need to spend less time trying to identify our gifts and instead be a gift to other people. That's the purpose of God gifting us and giving us abilities is so that we can be a gift to others. Part of the blessing we talked about in our Amazed by Grace series God put us here not to hoard it, but to pass it on. And what a joy it is to be able to do that, to encourage others. You know, um, when you think about it, um, what is the, when, when we start off when we're younger, often we, we discover, hey, we have gifts. And we find out this is a way maybe I can impress others. 
Or maybe it's a way I can uh, receive some recognition and get some support along the way. But God keeps taking us to finally what we realize is that we want to be a gift. We want to be a source of help and encouragement to bless people around us. And then we leave the results of our lives up to God. He can determine what he wants to, whether he wants to promote us, whether or not. It's up to him. But he gives us that to be a blessing to the people around us. And God is a source. He hands them to us. And it should lead to humility because we realize, God, this is what you've done for me. This is what you've done for all of us. William Temple, a pastor of a former century, said this, pride is at the root of all evil. Is that true? I think so. Because it's about me. It's about I want to look better. It's, you know, I want to get mine too bad about yours. And even if I have to kind of roll over you in order to get mine, that's what pride's all about. These particular gifts in this passage are about leadership gifts. I would call them church planting gifts. This is how the church was birthed in the first century. There are other lists. There's 1 Corinthians 11 and 12. There's Romans chapter 12 where it talks about gifts for other reasons. But these are these leadership gifts. And let's take a look at them individually just for a moment. The first is mentioned apostles. Now we know the apostles died. Ephesians chapter 2 said the foundation of the church was laid upon apostles and prophets. And these are the men who wrote scripture. No one's writing scripture today. So there's a dimension of their ministry that definitely is no longer with us. It's a foundational gift. Then the question is, are, is there any application of this today in the 21st century? And uh, there's, I mean, whenever I hear someone say, you know, that, boy, they call themselves an apostle, I'm weary, right? I mean, I'm, I'm weary. I said, watch out for that. But for those who also take a look at what God's doing in the world, they're asking the question, is there an apostolic application through people that God starts movements where the, 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 the gospel explodes? And you see... You see this whole movement of church planning going in different places. I think there is something to that. I'm not going to die over that. I want to fight over it. But I'm saying I believe there is something potentially to that role today. And then there's the prophet. We also know that the prophets in the New Testament scripture was being written. And they spoke in a very authoritative way. We also think of a prophet speaking in the future. That's one half of the gift of prophecy. And by the way, when people today are trying to tell you the future, again, be very wary of that one. Okay, scripture has... Helped us with how it's all going to turn out in the end. We know that. But is there a prophetic application today? Very definitely. See, the prophet also not only foretold the future, they were foretellers speaking the truth of God into a culture to come along and reveal to a culture that which God is trying to speak to, like plowing up the dirt to, to prepare for planting that would come. And I believe there is a prophetic gift today that's needed very much in the church worldwide of Christ. And often those with prophetic gifts had the ability to come alongside those who were particularly visionary or maybe had some of this apostolic application and to work with them to help the body of Christ become what God intended it to be. And then there's the evangelists. And we know what evangelists are, but they're not the guys on TV. Okay? So kind of take that one out of your mind. That's something different. And we also think of people who are just itinerant, hop from place to place to place. They did that in the New Testament as well, but... This is speaking of God's gift to the church at large. People who are able to proclaim Christ so that others received him. By the way, all of us are commanded to share our faith in scripture, right? Whether we have the gift or not. And then there's the next gift, and some make it two, but many scholars believe it's one. It's called pastor-teacher. There's a hyphen between the two. Two and one because there's a little article that goes before pastor but not teacher. So it's probably an aspect 
Two dimensions of the same gift, a pastor teacher. Now there's another word we use for pastor as well, and it's a, it's a very good word. What is it? Shepherd. shepherd, sure. It's shepherd, it's the same thing. And so what he tells us here, these are the roles, but what's very interesting is that the Western world has limited the church leadership to primarily pastor teacher. We don't see that worldwide, nor do we see it in the first century. Could this be part of the reason why the Western church is shrinking and not going anywhere? So we've made one gift dominant for the church. It doesn't say that. It says there are four of them here. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. When you begin to see those functions at least operate, guess what happens? You begin to see God move in powerful ways. We see it all around the world. And the Western world needs to pay attention to God's original design right here. Now, here's the question. What is their role? What's the role of these pastor teachers or these other gifts that are right here for the church? Is it to promote themselves, to have some natural, uh, national, become national celebrities? We don't think so. Is it that these, these gifts are to do all the work in the church where everybody else watches them? No, we know that's not the answer either. We're going to see in the next verse what God designed them to be. But it also means this. We are all gifted because we all have gifts. Earlier in this chapter, it talks about that. For purposes that are greater than our own dreams or desires or goals or plans. What? To promote the mission of God in this world. All of our gifts are designed to do that. And it's designed for something much bigger than we can imagine ourselves. And that's Christ's call upon our lives individually and corporately as well. The second thing we're going to see are the reasons for their existence. Why these gifts exist. Here's the blueprint. Notice what it says. They are, in verse 12, responsibility is to equip God's people for their works of service or to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So, God's design for this gift, these gifts of leadership are to equip who? Us, all of us, for what? For the service that God designed for you and me. So that's the role. They're to be equipping. Now it's interesting because when we talk about this, the idea of building up the body of Christ, the body is emphasized, is there to emphasize our intimacy with Christ. And because we've heard it, if we've been in church for very long, it's lost all of its punch. It doesn't mean much. Yeah, we're part of the body of Christ. Big deal. Think about it for a moment. Jesus said, you are part of my body. And the whole mystical part and the whole part of what that means worldwide through all the centuries of God's people. That means we're part of Christ himself because he made it that way. And folks, that one is just too big for me to get my little brain around. It's an incredible thought. We're part of the creator of the universe and his body. And that means also how should we view other people? Including people we may or may not be like. Maybe they're very different. Now, it's interesting. Some of you know this word equip is an interesting word. It's a fishing term. Okay. Anybody going fishing this afternoon with John? And there, there go some fisher guys. You guys are heading out. Hope you catch a bunch. And we'd be happy if you want to bring some sushi back for us. We'll, we'll be happy. In fact, I have, a, I have a fishing story if I can tell you in just a moment. If you'll permit that one. But it was the idea of them preparing their nets. You see, they caught fish with nets. They still do some of that, don't they, net fishing? And if, you're, if your nets aren't ready, you're not going to catch much. But it also had other meanings to it. It was the idea of mending a torn net. You know, so a little fishy can't swim through it. Uh, it was used in other contexts. The idea of repairing. It could all, even this word was used to set a broken bone. 
It's the idea of repairing. It's the idea of equipping that goes far beyond uh, just what's on the surface to dealing with brokenness in our lives, our attitudes, and our beliefs. It's a broad term. It means that it's more than information that we give out. Equipping is far more than just giving a bunch of information saying we've equipped. No, we haven't. Until these things begin to happen. Brokenness is set. Until we begin to mend and repair, that's what he's talking about in equipping. And it's very interesting because I think what he means in bringing followers to wholeness is that God has some very special work to do. Can I tell you a quick fishing story? Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, first time I ever went deep sea, actually it wasn't the first time, but we went deep sea fishing off Baja, California before I moved to Southern California. We were Northern California at the time. And we went out the first day, caught nothing. And so the second day, we went out about two hours into the Gulf off of Baja, off of Cabo San Lucas. And um, other guys had, had fished the facility said, well, Roland, you know what? You haven't caught anything. You'll be first. So uh, um, they said, you know, if you see anything. And so we're trolling around about 15 knots. And all of a sudden, I hear this, the deckhand. I say, Arriva! And it looks up like, and there's this fin coming toward the boat. And there's the jig. You can see it out there. And this sailfish hits that thing and shoots past the boat. They said, you're in the seat, Roland. So I jump in and I crank that thing in. And uh, actually got him in. They, they picked up this beautiful sailfish and they put out the fin like this. I had the, the sun on the colors of a sailfish. You have to see it to believe it. It was one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. And then the thing jumped out of the deckhand's hand. He went back, so I got to pull him in twice. <laughs> and for you, it was a catch and release. We let him go. He was kind of worn out by that. So that's my fish story. It's actually true. It has nothing to do with today, but I'm <laughs> glad you let me tell it. And uh, I think it was like 6,000 pounds. Well, actually, it was 125. But, uh, <laughs> the whole idea of bringing wholeness is important in this world because one of the great challenges in any culture is the corruption. I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago that uh, they're having some demonstrations in Malawi where we were in June. I just got word on Thursday that 19 people were killed in that demonstration. No more than a mile from the home of the woman who uh, we do a lot of our, our work through, through Louise Loebscher there. And uh, this great unrest. And it's all because of a corrupt president who for the first five years was as good as gold. Said he was a Christian, met with the Christian leaders all the time. As soon as he was elected for the second term, he changed. Everything changed. And then our, we were conference call on Friday morning, and we were also in Zambia right before we went to Malawi. And our friends who do most of their ministry in Zambia said the same thing is happening in Zambia right now. And you know what's spurring a lot of it? There is corruption among the leadership, but they're also in Zambia watching this thing in Libya. And they're saying, you know what? If that's what you do with leaders, let's do the same here. So they're talking about revolution. They don't understand what's going on. And the other sad fact of that is that what we saw happen in, in the media here made us, isn't that wonderful, the overthrow in Egypt? Folks, when the elections happen in Egypt this year, guess who's going to be elected? The Muslim Brotherhood. And Egypt's going to be far worse than it was before, and the believers in Egypt, and there are thousands of them, are going to suffer much greater. Same thing's going to happen in Libya, because what the West doesn't understand, they do not understand democracy. You can't force it. And this is movement, and I better stop right now, quit preaching, and go back to this. But we need to have concern because of corruption in the world, all the brokenness that God says the body of Christ needs to become experts in putting things back together, first among ourselves, and then help other people do the same. We need to keep praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. 
Parents, by the way, do you believe this, that your kids are growing up in a broken world? And there's a lot of corruption in it. Of course there is. We have to help them learn how to navigate those waters. It's not a nice and easy place out there, but God calls us to make a difference in that. And so God says, as, by the way, that's as we begin our family series next week. Over the weeks, we'll talk about some of that. And when we're equipped, what do we do? According to this verse, we do the, our works of service. We build up. We strengthen and encourage each other. Why? We take our grace gifts to spread grace to other people. That's what the gifts are about. So that we bless the world around us, our family, those around us, our church, as we grace them. Now, as we said, there's another word for pastor here. It's shepherding. So what we've asked in answering the question, what does a shepherd do? It's very clear in this passage, a shepherd equips people to do their work of ministry. Isn't that what that says? And so that's part of it. And while it takes place primarily in the body of Christ, it's not the only place. And this is not the only passage that talks about what gifts are to do. But we're just using this one this morning. Now question, who is to be equipped again? All the followers of Jesus, all of us. So, question, true or false? Good shepherds equip God's people for their work of service. True or false? It's very true. That's exactly a major role of shepherding. And it says simply this, that the church is not designed to be a bunch of spectators watching one or two people do all the ministry. It's a team sport, Christianity is, as we serve God together, utilizing the grace gifts that God has given us. And also to equip is to prepare people, I believe, for every area of life. You see, if we're equipping, it's not just giving some information on a Sunday morning, but we train each other, we equip one another in areas in, of our family, in our work, in our business, in, in our relationships, and how we handle our money. That's all part of the equipping that God intends. And how do we do that? Well, we have opportunities. Only a very limited can ever be done in any church on a Sunday morning. The rest of it has to take place during the week, doesn't it? That's why we're excited. Small groups are launched by next week. Men's ministry begins. Women's ministries. All the ministries of this church, from youth to children to worship, are designed and need to be to equip people. That's what God has in mind. And that's what leadership's role is if we're doing it the right way, is to equip. That's what pastoral staff's all about. So here's a question. What does it take to equip someone or be equipped? Think with me just for a moment. What are some things that, that happen? Is it just giving information in, in, in a lecture? It's got to be much more than that. How about modeling? We have to see something if it's going to be true equipping. We have to see it modeled somewhere. Uh, there needs to be some intentionality. Some of it takes place naturally, but some of it has to be intentional. There has to be a design and a plan to make that happen. There also have to be opportunities for people to serve. And a church is thinking wisely, is thinking about what are the areas that, that God wants to do something, and as we'll see in just a moment, it's putting people together in teams. Because the way you really learn and become equipped is working in a team with someone far more effective than just doing it alone. And we could go on and on about it must be directed and led by the Holy Spirit, all these things to be effective. And then the third thing uh, Paul is telling us here is we looked at our resources, our reasons, and finally the results. What does God anticipate will happen? And he tells us in verses 13 to 16. Here's what God says, what he wants to see happen. Because we exercise. Notice what it says in verse 13. He says, this will continue until we all come 
to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And so God has growth in mind. And notice some key words in here. He uses the word unity. Unity in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean we have unity in the faith and knowledge of Jesus? First of all, it has to be the right Jesus. It's very obvious when you look at the cults around the world. They're talking about Jesus, but they're not the same one the Scripture is talking about. They're talking about someone else. And occasionally we find people who call themselves Christians who do the same kind of thing. So we have to understand, is this the Jesus of the Scriptures that we're talking about? Do we have, do we have the right one here? But also, more than that, it's who is He? He's the Creator, the Savior, the Eternal Son of God. But when we come to the full knowledge of Jesus, just not that I know about Him out there, it means do I begin to share Jesus' passion for this world? Do I share His convictions, His perspective, His mission, His heart as the foundation of our life? Is Jesus ultimately my treasure or all these other things my treasure? That's what He's talking about when we grow in our faith and unity. Jesus is the prominent one in our lives. It's not just can I sign the right doctrinal statement. He's talking about much more than that. And folks, what happens is if we have wrong ideas about Jesus or God, guess what else happens? We have wrong ideas about ourselves, why we're here. We have wrong ideas about other people. Can we as Christians have wrong ideas about Jesus and why we're here? Absolutely. And God continually, that's why we need each other in the body of Christ with that. And then it also means that if we're to become like Christ, we live by the same power that He did. And that Jesus is our model for all of life. He's the model for my personal life, for marriage, for business, for whatever else it is. He's the model. He's the standard for all those areas. He's the measuring stick for life and ministry. Let me add again, what's this, what is the unity that He's talking about in verse 13? Well, is it organizational unity? Take a look around at all the denominations and groups around the world. If he meant that, we don't have a chance of fulfilling it. <laughs> and I think it's, what he means is much more than that. But what he is talking about is that we have a unity in Christ. That we have the same passion for him. We have this common love, a passion, a devotion to him. We have hearts that will follow him. And that we will be Jesus to one another. That's what he's talking about. And it says he lives in us to be Jesus to those who are maybe different than we are, that we haven't even met yet. So that's the growth that he's talking about to become like him. If I were to ask you this, too, that when you think about it, um, think of your own family. Does everybody agree on everything in your family? Let's take a little test. Um, what is your favorite, just, just shout out, what's your favorite food? Just shout it out. Sushi and chiladas, Okay. Anyone else? I'm trying to see who I hear the best when I'm going to lunch with you. <laughs> okay. All right. How about music? What's your favorite kind of music? Once, hey, wonderful. Again, this is overwhelmingly in this service, both of them, uh, African and reggae. That's great. Okay. Yeah, I heard it all every time this morning. I heard that. Okay. And um, how about your favorite color? Just give it to me. Pink. Okay. Well, Whatever. That's what I'm saying. Try to get your family to agree on those incidentals, and it probably isn't going to happen. So what do we need? We need something better and bigger than our individual little tastes that God says is going to produce unity. There's only one thing. You know what it is? It's the mission of Jesus. That's the only thing large enough, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to bring believers together, because there's so many different styles. 
But the mission is make disciples of all nations that he gave to us. And that's our common thread of where unity comes from, a passion to follow him. Now question, what produces disunity? No elbowing the person next to you. That's not right. Pride, very definitely pride. Yes, it is. You see, it puts our own agenda above his mission. And our agendas will always divide. Now, the question is this, who is Jesus? In your outlines, we, as we model Jesus, it's simply this, who is the great shepherd? Well, that's who we've been talking about, Christ himself. He is the great shepherd. And notice what was prophesied by Isaiah, because here we get another dimension, two more dimensions of what shepherding is all about. This is the one that most of us understand. Would you read this with me from Isaiah 40, please? Join me. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. That's a shepherd's heart, carrying the helpless, carrying those who need special attentions, meeting those needs. That's absolutely at the heart of Christianity. Did you know what? If you go back through history, you know where the whole ideas of hospitals come from? For the first 15, 16, 17 centuries, they're all Christian result of hospices because of Christian love and charity. It should be that way. Yesterday, uh, we got a call uh, from a friend of ours, and um, the pastor in his church is a guy I coach, and he's gone to Africa with me a couple times, and, and the pastor, Kelly, uh, has been in the hospital this week for pancreatitis, evidently extremely painful. And what, but if you take his history, and by the way, of all the places I've been where there's open spiritual opposition on the west part of the United States, and I've lived pretty much from San Diego to to Vancouver, uh, B.C., I would say by far the most difficult place I've ever lived is, is the Bay Area. It's, just, it's tough, folks. It, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. I'd like to go there on vacation, but spiritually it's a tough place. They have five children. One of their children has a very rare disease that less than 10 kids in all of America have. And simply it's a disease that attacks the muscles. He has absolutely no muscular strength and he can't. Most of them never live past age six or seven. Last year, his wife was in the hospital, I forget for how many months, and they weren't even sure what was wrong with her. Attack after attack, and then yesterday he got the word, the same pastor, that his dad just died. Now here's the question. He's a shepherd. Who shepherds him? The people at his church will rally, because he's taught them how. So everyone needs caring, very much a heart of shepherding. And that's what Jesus has demonstrated here, but what else does Jesus model in the way of being a shepherd? Notice what he says on the, the next page, John 10, verses 14 to 16. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Stop just for a moment. Shepherds sacrifice for others. I have other sheep, too, that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. What is Jesus saying here? He gives us now the third role of a shepherd. We've already seen the one from Isaiah that we just talked about. It's what? It's the caring that we talk about. Is caring a part of shepherding? Absolutely it is. So we have the care dimension. That's the one that most of us know about and talk about when we talk about shepherding. There's care. What's the other one we've been talking about this morning? It says the gifts were given to do what in verse 12? Equip. So a second dimension, and the shepherds are to equip, right? 
So the second dimension is that shepherds must equip the flock. But the third one is the one we just saw right here. Jesus says, I have sheep who are not part of this flock. What's he talking about? He says, I must go get them. Who are they? Yeah, pre-believers. He says the same thing in John 17. He says, Father, I pray not only for these, but for those who will believe through their name. Who is he praying for? Us, 21 centuries ago. So there's a third dimension, minimally, it's actually more than that, to shepherding, and we just call it reproduction. We must bring other sheep to know Christ. So three dimensions of this all within, this concept of something we call shepherding. That's the servant, that's the, I should say, this is how Christ, the great shepherd, defined leadership for the church. It has to make sure that these three things are happening. A caring, equipping, and reproducing. You could add another one because it also involves multiplying other shepherds. That's God's design for the church. And when the church begins to take him seriously and enter into that, you know what happens? Incredible things. And that's what God is doing all around the world. The question is, how do we do that here at ABF? How are we emphasizing what Christ commands us to do with this very passage we're looking at? How do we care? How do we equip? How do we reproduce? What are the mechanisms that make that happen? What do you think? Turn to the person next to you and ask them, what do they think? How's that happen? Yeah, gifts are one of the ways. Small groups, sure. Because in groups, there you go, we can do all these things at the same time. And as we looked at this fall, and yesterday we went through our training, we looked again at Matthew 4.19. What are we here? Jesus said very simply, here's your mission statement as a church, make disciples. But he said, what, follow me. How do we follow him in our groups? Then he says, I will make you. What's that about? Change. How does he want to change us? And then he says, I will make you what? Fishers of people, men and women. How do we impact others? All of those need to take place. And that's part of what can happen in a group. So the question is, are we letting God shape our groups to become what he really wants them to be? So it means we, we uh, follow him. We, we respond in faith. We make life changes, and then we live out his mission to reproduce in the lives of others. And we multiply as many people as we can to do that. And the key to a healthy life in, in church and role of leadership is right here. And if we ignore that, what happens? Churches plateau and kind of drift off into never-never land. And eventually what God will do, God will find another church that will do that. He'll pull the plug off one, and he'll go to another one where it's going to happen. And he'll say, that's the one I'm going to bless. That's all found in the book of Revelation, isn't it, when he talks about his work in and among the churches. So unity is following Jesus together in his mission. It was uh, Richard Baxter, the, the, the pastor of the 1600s, who said this. In, there should be unity in essentials. That's what we're talking about. There needs to be liberty in incidentals. Now, folks, there's lots of incidentals in the church. It really doesn't matter to God how we do it or whatever we do it. But he says, in the essentials, there should be unity. There should be freedom to do whatever we want in incidentals. But in all things, charity or love. Then verse 14 talks about another result. God wants to see, verse 14, stability. He said, all these things happen. He says, when this happens, he says, um, um, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced by people trying to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And so what he's saying too is part of this equipping role is to bring stability 
by helping us understand the true Jesus of the scriptures. And I wish I could say, once we got that, that's enough. But you see, you can have the right Jesus, but then we can have the wrong emphasis or the wrong motives. We see that all around the world too, people emphasizing things Jesus didn't on both sides of the spectrum. And you can have, then you can even have the right Jesus, the right motives, or the right emphasis, but we can have the wrong spirit, that it lacks the spirit of grace. He says that also causes tossing around. There's plenty of that. And then we can have the right Jesus, we can have the right emphasis, the right spirit, but we can have the wrong timing of what God wants us to do. So being equipped and growing the maturity is more than just knowing all the right things. It involves discernment. I have a good friend who just was offered, an he, he has a mission organization, and he was just invited to a place where they are in contact with literally thousands of churches, and they've asked him to consider being the, the person who oversees really teaching them about modern uh, impacting the world through missions. They've asked him to do that. And it's honoring, it's flattering, it's kind of, kind of like, it's amazing. But he said, you know, the more I prayed about it, Roland, he says, I think it's the wrong timing. Where does that come from? A growth and maturity. He understands even the time. So you can have the right Jesus, the right emphasis, the right spirit, and the right timing. But you know what, folks? There's even more than that. It could still be something that's wrong for others. And that's what Paul said. He says, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He said, you know what? And I'd much rather go to heaven and be with Jesus right now and stay here on this earth. He says, but because it will be better for you, I know I'm going to stay a while. All those involved growing in Christ, what it means to know Him. It's discernment with the information that we've had. And we need each other, or it's also very clear here, he says, we can be deceived. We can be deceived. So we need the model of Christ to keep us in the right direction. Then verses, in verse 15, he also tells us that in order to not be deceived, we need to speak the truth in love. Did you notice that? Speak the truth in love. And why do you think that's mentioned here? Because in all cultures, in all ages, this is a rare thing. You see, you and I have grown up in an age where we don't even recognize it. We have been raised with half-truths half and disinformation all around us. It's all around the world. You just see it. You go away to another culture, you come back here, you see it here too. Of what's important, what's right, it's, it's out there a lot. We hear politicians who promise anything. They, it doesn't matter if they tell the truth. They just want to get elected. Then they can turn... What they said before it means nothing. We live in that age. We hear people on the TV all the time making these uh, wild claims as, as a TV speak, uh, evangelists and people. And they're also guilty of a lot of platter. We also carry personal secrets in our own relationships. It's not the truth. We carry them. Well, they kill relationships. And what happens is that deceit is bred without even knowing it. Someone said this. Evil always has to do with lying or half-truths or some of the truth withheld. The whole entertainment world consciously hides reality and creates illusions. And we have to help our kids recognize what they're watching on TV and the medias and hearing and all that stuff. So much of it's an illusion. All designed to, to deceive. One actor got caught in some serious indiscretion. I won't mention his name. You'd know who it was. And he said... When he's confronted, I don't believe in truth, I believe in style. <laughs> Maybe that speaks for our age. I've seen marriages slowly die or get mired in mediocrity because people quit speaking the truth in love. 
You can't have a good marriage without it. And by the way, the phrase here, speak the truth in love, is really, it's a verb. It means truthing in love. Just go through life truthing in love. It's not just truthing, but truthing in love. That's the great balance. Now, folks, in order for that to happen in our lives, let me ask you this. Who have you given permission to speak into your life what needs to be spoken to or confronted? Who have we made ourselves accountable? Do you have anybody in your life that you've made yourself accountable to? I have friends, brothers I've done that with. My wife, I've given her permission to do that. And uh, she's wonderful. She will do that. I think, darn, why did I tell her to do that? <laughs> I still get defensive. I'm just this little boy, you know, and I whole thing. But, you know, she loves me enough to do that. Who do we give permission? Then, on the other hand of that, there are some people who will make an observation and they speak, and because they said it, they think it's true, or that's what the situation is. You ever run people like that? You know, they're kind of like people who, you know, spoke a piece of their mind they could ill afford to lose. <laughs> Some of the saddest things I've ever seen as a pastor and, and doing what we do is to be with someone who's trying to have their, their mate uh, answer the phone for them. No, no. <laughs> have their mate share something with them. And they just won't hear it. And, and what could have happened if they had And they won't listen to the person coaching or counseling. won't listen to them either. And so what happens is they begin to kill a relationship because they won't allow truth to come in. And it's done in love. And they won't grow from it, so they miss that. And then they miss out what the relationship could have been later on because they refuse to do it. All of us have to make a decision. Will I allow truth and love to be spoken into my life? And will I do the same? We share with you that... Um, one of our uh, sons in Colorado, his wife left him, was having an affair with another guy. And, and when another a, a mutual friend confronted the, the ex-wife and the boyfriend that this is wrong, both, they both claim to be Christians, it's called adultery and God says it's sin. The response came from them and also from the guys having the affair. Mother was, wait a minute, We're, what, you're just nothing but judgmental. Where's Christian love in all this? See, we live in that kind of age, folks. And trust me, it's not going away real quickly. And so the key is here is it's truth that's spoken in love. Someone said this, truth is not to be allowed to harm and love is not allowed to distort God's truth and standards. We're going to see when we go into our family series, did you know that one of the keys to intimacy in marriage is the ability to work through conflict. Most people run from it, and that's why they don't, have the, they don't have the intimacy they could have had. That's also true of any relationship. They could have had it if we had worked through with that. And when I, how do we speak the truth in love? Remember, love does what? Love seeks and does God's best for the other person. That's the definition of love. Seeks it and does God's best. And over and over again, we saw Jesus did it with Peter. But we have to ask ourselves this. Am I allowing any lies to exist in my own life? Is there any compromise I wouldn't want anybody else to see or know about? God says, deal with that. Reveal that. Take it to God and take it to another brother or sister so we can move through it. And do I allow enough people or do I love enough to speak into someone else's life even if it's uncomfortable to do that? The test is simply this. If we do it, he says, that's the way the body grows. The truth in love. Not just the truth, and not just pretend like it didn't happen that we call love, but the truth in love. And then finally, verse 16, he talks there about each of us functioning fully. 
And notice what it says. We close with this. He says, he makes the whole body, that's Jesus, fit together completely or perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You can't have a church full of love unless everybody's doing their part. Did you know that, folks? If some say, you know what, I'm not doing that, it kills love as well. And each one of us, God says, I want you to get in the game and to be playing. So how am I playing in God's team sport with the opportunities that he gives me? That's the question. If you have a family and say you have multiple kids as we did, and you're saying, hey, we're going to go do something this afternoon, we're going to have fun. But first, we're going to do all of our chores, we've got to clean these things up. And let's say three of the four kids said, great, they started doing it, one of them's grousing over there, you know, kind of, I don't want to do this. Can that kind of bring a pall to the whole family? Could. You don't let it. So you simply say, well, you know what, pal? Go right ahead. You don't have to, but you don't have to come with us this afternoon either. And many people miss the enjoyment of what they could have had because they don't do what they don't want to do. And our gifts are something that happen easy. And God gives us in our gifts, there are things you want to do. But part of any role in life is every job has a portion of it we don't like to do. But that's called maturity. Doing what we don't want to do for the good of others because God asks us to do it. It's part of what Christ's design is for each one of us. And what happens then is then it says that this is what builds the body. We are building, we are blessing, and we're beginning to be a gift to others by operating the way Christ designed us to. It's a wonderful thing, and what joy to be part of it. God himself has said the way this happens is as we connect with each other. And you and I thrive when we team and when we partner with like-minded people, even if we have many differences, to a common vision. And we say, God, let's go for it. The Spirit of God shows up. And He begins to do things we've only dreamed of. But let me ask you this, and then we close. Does building up each other mean smooth sailing? Everybody lives happily ever after? I don't think so, because Jesus and Paul did not model that. It still doesn't mean we eliminate problems because we're doing what God asks. And there's sometimes in our life, we, have you ever noticed you start to say, God, I'm going to begin to do this. You make a commitment. You start to do it, and the hamburger hits the fan. Things go wrong. You say, what happened? God must not be in it. No, 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 just the wrong conclusion. That's probably a demonstration that God is in. And he says, fight through that stuff so I can continue to bless. You keep on doing it because God has called us to do that. And yesterday, as we had our, our group here, our small group leaders, and we, were, we, we did a lot of interaction. And we even asked a question a couple of times. How many have learned something here today from someone else? And hands went up all over. We did work at tables together. And we did all kinds of things where there was involvement the whole four hours we together. And what was great is to watch people learning from each other, watching ideas begin to explode, and begin to say, hey, you know what? Could 30 people make a difference in a church, in this community? And all the heads are going like this. Absolutely. Jesus did it with 12 minus 1. Turned the world upside down. And God is still looking for people committed to his mission, committed to doing it to a team together, say, God, we're not here to play church. We are here to make a difference in this world. That's our choice. And hopefully it begins to happen as we come together. Our groups, we begin to do this. And we begin to encourage each other in a new, fresh way. The Holy Spirit shows up. Let's pray together. What do I need to think and decide and feel and do to fulfill his blueprint for my life in ABF? What is God seeking to your heart today? Are you part of a group? 
Is your group open to reaching out to others who aren't in a group? Is your group thinking about equipping, caring, making a difference in the community? Oh God, do your work among your people powerfully. And now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, make us like Jesus so that your light and your love pour forth from us. Thank you for each one here. I pray that as we go this week, you'll make us a gift to all that we encounter. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Turn to greet somebody on the way out. Remind them they're a gift. Have a great day. God bless you.